This is Writing Excuses, episode 27, World Building Religion. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. All right, we want to do a series of podcasts where we dig deeper into world building aspects. Uh, today we're going to talk about religion, how we use it in our stories. Now, we first feel that we need to make a disclosure. All three <laughs> of us belong to the same religion. We are all Mormons. Um, yes. It's just we, we happen to be good friends. We, um, oh, so and we all live in Utah. We all live in Utah. Mm-hmm. Dan and I met at BYU. So we are approaching this from a certain aspect. <laughs> um, so maybe the first thing I should talk about, and I didn't prep the guys for this, so it'll be just see what they say. Um, how do you not let your religious bias destroy your books? That's an interesting way of phrasing that. I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Howard, you're first. How do you not let your religious bias in, um, do you let your religious bias influence your works? I, I try not to. I, mm-hmm. I really try not to. I have had people email me and yeah. say, oh, I'm so glad that you present religion in a positive light. Uh-huh. And in the very same day, I will get email from people saying, oh, I'm so glad that even though you're religious, you're not beating us over the head with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that you are presenting you know, humanism, atheism, whatever, in a positive light. And so I think I've struck a balance. Yeah. My rule is for science fiction... I will never come out and say whether or not there actually is a god or mm-hmm. an afterlife or anything like that. I leave it up to the characters. Some of them believe one thing. Some of them believe another. Right. And they will argue. And I'm never allowed to place overwhelming evidence in one camp or another. Okay. Dan, mm-hmm. how do you approach it? Um, well, one of the, one of the things that uh, I've heard uh, Orson Scott Card say before is that he didn't think that there was any of his religion in his writing. And then once he was smarter, he realized that it was inevitably there. And his beliefs, and I believe my writing's the same, I think most of us are the same way. What I believe will inevitably inform what I write, whether I intend it or not. And that is not to say that when my uh, horror book comes out in a couple of years that it's gonna be you know, rife with Mormon literature or anything. It just means that there are aspects of what I believe that get incorporated in there. and. Uh, most of us don't notice that because most of us come from the same, I mean, what am I trying to say? Most of the readers in North America tend to come from a similar Judeo-Christian background, and so we've seen the same themes a million times, and we don't necessarily notice them when they jump out. Okay. Um, I think several things have been mentioned here. Um, I really like what Howard said about the characters. Um, When I'm writing, I try to look at what's important to a given character, and I honestly feel it's my duty to present what is important to that character in the best light possible. Meaning, if I have an atheist in one of my books, since I myself am not an atheist, I have a burden to present their point, their viewpoint, as strongly as possible. In fact, even more strongly than my own, because I know that my bias will influence my points. And I want people who read my books, who believe in a certain way, to look and say, yes, he did not straw man, he gave us our best arguments. Um, and I, I do my best. You have to, I think... And you know yeah. what? That is your religion and my religion and Dan's religion informing yeah. your writing because as Mormons, we believe that free agency yeah. and choice is very, very <laughs> yeah, important. Thanks. There and you go. so yeah. thanks for you're not setting point. up straw men. <laughs> um, but what's, what my characters are, are interested in becomes interested in my books. And I think if you look at my, um, my novels in, in both Elantris and Mistborn, religion is, plays a big part in the bad guys' plots. Um, specifically, Elantris is about the bad guy. Uh, the bad guy is a religious character, mm-hmm. and, and Mistborn as well. And I think this comes through because I personally 
believe that religion is very powerful and very important. And so it's not that I'm trying to present religion in, in poor light. It's that I think that religion can be used for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of influences how I approach these things. Th this is the point in the podcast where I think we need another disclaimer. Right. Is that when we are talking about pu putting religion into books, yeah. we're not talking about preaching to people. Right. We're yeah. saying your characters likely have religious beliefs yeah. and how do you treat them? Okay, so let's go. Let's get into that, the actual world building aspect of it. Um, what do you gain by having very your characters deal with religious conflicts and problems? What do you lose? Dan? One of the great things in uh, fantasy that uh, creating a religion, it can really give your world a solid grounding. If you know what you know, the different religions believe in their origin stories, kind of the creation myth or creation story of that world, it can give you a much more rounded world. And it yeah. can also give you um, a lot of nice things for your characters to care about, ways for them to think that you wouldn't have otherwise. Also, okay. on a kind of a side note, it gives you great epithets if you've created a religion for your characters. <laughs> yes, Because then they can swear by stuff. Well, I think that if you look at the history of mankind, religion has been one of the largest motivating forces in a lot of our, our cultural development, a lot of our wars, mm -hmm. a lot of just... Every, religion is... It shows up everywhere. Yeah, it's got its fingers in everything. And so if you leave it out, particularly, I think, of a, in a fantasy book, then you are leaving a hole in your world building that can be glaring and obvious. Doesn't mean you you have to do it. You can leave that hole, but. In, in mincing words just yeah. a little bit here, when we are saying religion, we are not necessarily talking about only organized religion. Right. Yeah. We are talking about spirituality and belief and faith and yeah. all of those kinds of elements in a, in a large scope. And when you are writing a world that has new religions in it, you're writing yeah. fantasy, uh, you take that into account. Mm -hmm. Make some organized religions. Make some spiritualists. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, that's a good point. The, the mm -hmm. Catholics Variety. versus the Wiccans yeah. writ large across your own fantasy world. Now, a caveat to all of this, I think, is that, um, and I've said it before, you can't do everything in every book. Now, I think you should consider the religious um, beliefs and the faiths of, of the people, but it can't be vital and important to every every book you make. Mm -hmm. And so I think you need to spend your time world building in the areas where there's going to be conflict. And so if you're going to have a very religious character, you need to spend time world building that religion. If instead you're really not going to have very a very religious character as your protagonist and you're going to not spend a lot of time dealing with religious conflicts, then maybe you need to spend your time world building somewhere else. Now, an another thing to consider with religion, we'll use D&D terms for this, is wizards versus clerics, which is basically just saying, where does your magic come from? If you're, if like you say, you know, you have a really well-developed religion in every fantasy book you write, it is likely that the magic will somehow be based on that, and that will make most of your wizards actually just clerics, and that will get on a lot of nerves of yeah. your readers. Yeah, okay, well, how, how do you, yeah. Let's, let's talk about you talking about the nerves of our readers. Do you risk offending people? It's kind of a different take, but do you risk offending people when you talk about religious and religion, faith, and these sorts of things in books? And if so, does that worry you? Or what do you, how do you deal with it? How yes, you risk offending people. I mean, you risk offending people by putting pen to paper. Okay. You mm -hmm. write something, you are risking offending people. Okay. You can't get into this business without offending somebody. Um, is it worth the risk? It, absolutely. I mean, it depends on the kind of story you want to mm -hmm. tell. I remember some early... Uh, James P. Hogan novel novels, uh, religion was set up as a straw man, mm -hmm. and science won in the end, and the religionists were uh, put down and shown to be charlatans or evil or whatever. And a lot of uh, Hogan's later work, uh, he he kind of rescinded mm -hmm. some of that. He 
I, I don't know if he found faith. I haven't spent enough time talking to him to, to know what changed, but there were messages in his early work and there were messages in his later work that were different. Mm -hmm. um, as a writer, you have to decide how much of you, or how much your writing is for preaching a message, right. and the message can be anything. War mm -hmm. is bad, yeah. uh, or war is good, <laughs> whatever you right. want your message mm -hmm. to be. Uh, how much of it is message and how, mu how much of it is just, uh, I've got a good story to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, personally, this is just my personal belief, but, and we said we shouldn't say that, but anyway, I'm going waffling. to anyway. I'm waffling. <laughs> Bad Brandon. Okay, I do not like books that I can see a clear objective or message in. Um, I am not... I don't either. Yeah, I don't want to read a story <laughs> where, it, where it feels like I'm being preached to at all. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if that preaching is is about war is bad or this or that. Now, I say that having just come off of reading Warbreaker, which is essentially an anti-war novel in a lot of ways. But um, I think the way to approach this and to be, in my opinion, non-offensive is to give all sides. Now, you're gonna have characters who are gonna believe one way. There should be characters who believe the other way, and it shouldn't be clear-cut who is right. That, I think, makes for good conflict and good storytelling is when the reader can look at both of them and say, yeah, this character has some points, this character has some points as well. And on religion, I think you should do the same thing. Sounds good to me. All right. Do you base your religions when you're world building in um, sci-fi fantasy, do you base them on real world religions? Um, and if you do, how do you do this well? Dan? Uh, ba base them on in what sense? That you actually use it or you just say, I need this guy to believe in something. I'll mash well, here, together here some Shinto and Protestantism. Um, well, that, that happens. That's one way of doing it. Um, if you look at the Dorini novels by Catherine Kurtz, they're very, very clearly based on the Catholic Church existing mm -hmm. in this world. Yeah. Um, and you will often see sort of the, the Greek pantheon transposed to a fantasy world and mm -hmm. taken that religion and just essentially cutting some corners in a way that's not necessarily bad by lifting a religion and changing some words. Um, yeah. What do you gain? What do you lose by doing that? Um, if, if, if you're actually going to take the effort and lift an earth religion and change some of the words around and change some of the concepts, it will actually probably result in a better fake religion than most of the other fake religions in, okay. in literature. Because in my experience, most religions tend to pretty much just be the same thing. They are just Greek pantheons changed. In fantasy. You know, one of the things that bugs me is when I read something that has religious characters in it and it is apparent to me that the author is not himself religious mm -hmm. because the practice of religion, the motivations of the characters who are acting out of faith or out of strong belief don't feel right. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think that holds for anybody who's going to write any religion. Do your research. Talk to people who are religious. Look mm -hmm. at, if you're going to base this on the Catholic Church, sit down with a priest yeah. and explain to him what you're doing. I'm trying to I'm trying to create a religion. What should I include? I think it really enhanced the Durini novels. I thought that they really mm -hmm. it was very interesting to look at. And I'm not suggesting yeah. those were done wrong. No, no, they were done very well. Um, yeah. She, I think, um, must believe um, in the Catholic religion or at least know a whole lot about it because she put, you know, a doppelganger of it, not the exact religion, right. but into her into her books and allowed her to deal with this church versus magic and how do they interact and these sorts of things was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the, the early Christian mythology transposed into novels um, works very well. Tad Williams, I think, did a good job with this in Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. He was taking early Christian mythology and, and using it um, in this same way. Um, but I think there's a danger to it, too, that um, people will look at you saying, oh, number one, they're cutting corners. 
You could get that, that complaint. You could also get the complaint of, oh, they're using this religion and they're presenting it poorly. Um, yeah. the, one of the funny things, and a lot of people who are not uh, Mormon do not realize this, but the original Battlestar Galactica yes. is so <laughs> overwhelmingly Mormon, it's hilarious yeah. almost. Um, you can look back at that and go, oh, they borrowed so many things. And it makes it kind of funny to our culture, but uh, yeah, most other space. people didn't uh -huh. really get it. Uh -huh. And so it didn't really bother them or anything. So I think it just kind of made the mythos a little more colorful. You know, mm -hmm. they, they borrowed terminology and yeah. whatever else, and that was fun. I think that uh, the other aspect of uh, borrowing real-world religions uh, in science fiction, you know, if you're setting a novel, yeah. you know, 50 years in the future, what are the Catholics doing? Yeah. What are the Orthodox Jews doing? What are mm -hmm. the Muslims doing? You have to portray those religions realistically because if you're setting this realistically 50 years in the future, those folks are all still around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're setting something a thousand years in the future, you probably have Christians who are wondering why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Mm -hmm. And that can be a fascinating discussion yeah. that yeah. those characters have with the atheists who are beating them around the ears with it. You right. know, a great example of this is Canticle for Leibowitz, mm -hmm. which is basically, oh, let's wow. take the, you know, this Catholic, you know, little group of monks and extrapolate it several thousand years into the future and track how it goes and how they react post-nuclear war. So mentioning Orson Scott Card, he does a good job with this too in his Ender series. I like mm -hmm. some of the things he's done. But we need to now, move. Can oh, I can I point yeah. something out though? We talked about what do you lose, uh, and you mentioned Ender's Game. One of the things when I was a kid and I first read Ender's Game, it bugged the heck out of me mm. that his mom was Mormon, and that's because it bothered me at that point in my life that Mormonism could exist in a universe in which it was not true. Uh huh. And yeah. in the world of Ender, I couldn't justify how Mormonism could be true in that world, and so that bothered me. And so that is a risk you run as well. Yeah. Once you start including real-world religions into science fiction, then you are going to alienate some people. Okay. Um, how do you develop religions that are not based on a real-world religion? How do you develop these and put them into a book? What do you do? Um, I can field some beginnings on this one because I've got some thoughts. Well, um, lay them on us. The, the thing I always say when you're world building, the biggest, best rule of thumb is search for where there's conflict and world build there. And so in Ringworld yeah. by Larry Niven, um, they have a mountain called Fist of God, mm -hmm. which was created when a meteor punched up through the ring yeah. from underneath. You take large cataclysmic events, okay. build a religion around them. But if Take, you're going to spend a lot of time building a religion on some, around something, I think you need to use it in your books. And in yeah. order to use it in your books appropriately, it needs to be s at least very important to some of the characters. You need to look for sources of conflict. There has to be a reason in there. Yeah. It's Chekhov's law. You're putting yeah. a gun in the first act. It has yeah. to be fired in the second yeah. or the so, third. So what are some of the sources of conflict of religion that you would focus on when making a fake um, uh, Characters who believe different things. Um, and in that case, I'm going to want to develop those religions so that they butt heads. Um, I want the, the man versus state is also a very good one. When I developed a religion for the Mistborn books, I wanted a religion that had in, in, intrinsic conflict that put it against the people who were in the streets that are going to be my main characters. And so we have Vin and Kelsier and them actually being hunted by agents of the religion to be killed because the religion states that half-breeds um, between the peasants and the nobility are an abomination. Curse of the Shalian is very yeah. similar in that you've got we know that these gods exist. We see them in these books, and yet there are religions that believe differently about them, and they fight about it. Right, yeah. And it's really cool. Yeah, because the gods are really there, 
and yet they, people still can't get along. And they still it can't get along. It says so much about people um, <laughs> wow. in those books for that. But yeah, conflict. Building, build your religion to interact with your magic, with your world, with your characters, to make them have conflict. Excellent. I think we're, um, we're out of time here, um, but I'm going to go ahead and give a writing prompt. Develop a religion with, which worships, worships something that in this world no one would ever worship. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and don't make it silly. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. <laughs> <laughs> if you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.